the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Over 2,000 years ago, he was known as the rich young ruler. Today, he is still in existence in most of us, as we'll see next on Abounding Grace. The rich young ruler thought he had it all. All he needed was eternal life. But he was told to give everything up for eternal life. And he couldn't do it. Sadly, way too many of us have that same thought. We'd rather hold on to what we have today than enjoy eternity with Christ. We would invite you to join us here in Luke as we take a look at the rich young ruler. Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 30. With today's broadcast of Abounding Grace, here's Pastor Gary Wagner. He says, If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. First thing Christ demands, as we have seen in other situations in Luke, is self-abandonment. If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions. Now, when Jesus said this to this young man, he was putting his finger right on the chief sin of that young man's heart. He knew his heart, of course. And that is why he said what he said to him, Do you want to be mature? Go and sell all of your possessions. And what was it in that young man's heart that Jesus saw? He saw that he worshipped two things. He worshipped his possessions and his wealth. And he worshipped his ability to acquire wealth and possessions. And Jesus, knowing that about him, said, If you want to be complete, you want eternal life, sell all of your possessions and give them to the poor. Now understand what Jesus is doing here. He is not simply demanding of this young man another act more strenuous than all the rest. Okay, so you have honored your parents, you haven't committed adultery, you haven't committed murder. Now let me tell you a really strenuous command. You want something else to do, okay? I'm going to give you something that is really hard to do, and this, to add this to your list, go sell all of your possessions. Well, that's not what Jesus is doing here, because such an act would be as valueless as all the other external acts of obedience performed supposedly so well by this self-righteous young man. Jesus isn't saying that he lacked one last thing beyond keeping the law. And if he does this one last thing, harder to do than all of the rest, his obedience will be complete. Rather, the demand that Jesus is making on him is even far more radical. He is saying to this young man, in effect, all of your righteousness is as filthy rags. 
All your keeping of God's law from your youth is nothing more than as filthy rags. You need a deep change of heart and a true repentance of an arrogant life. In other words, in telling him to sell all he has and give it to the poor, Jesus is laying a totalitarian claim on everything this young man is and everything he has. He is ordering him to remove every other support and every other idol of his heart which would interfere with the unconditional surrender of himself to Jesus. The one thing he lacks, remember that was his question, what is the one thing I lack? The one thing he lacks without which his morality means nothing, is the self-sacrificing devotion of his heart and life to Jesus Christ that characterizes every true follower of Jesus. Keeping the commandments of God, conforming your life externally to the laws of God, is no substitute for faith in Christ and the self-surrender of a person to Christ, which involves a renunciation of one's own self-reliance and self-righteousness and the reception of the gift of life and salvation which God gives graciously to all who believe. In insisting that this young man sell his possessions... Jesus is not establishing a universal principle for all of his believers. You want to become a Christian? Okay, go sell your car, go sell your house, get rid of your bank account, and just give it all away. He is not establishing a universal principle here for all believers. Zacchaeus, remember the little tax collector who climbed in the tree? Was a wealthy man. And he wasn't required to give away all of his possessions to the poor. Joseph of Arimathea was a disciple of Christ and a rich man, and Jesus didn't tell him to sell everything. Ananias and Sapphira, they were free to do with, their own, with whatever they wanted with their own possessions as long as they didn't try to deceive the Holy Spirit. And James warns the rich man only against trusting in riches instead of trusting in God. So Christ is not saying, here is the principle, you've got to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. So what is he saying? Well, God often tests a person to see where his heart is, to check his devotion to Christ. These tests are different for different people. But, beloved, they are a real test designed specifically for the individual by God to penetrate the heart and conscience and to force all of us to deal with our cherished secret idols of the heart. Remember the test God gave to Abraham? The sacrifice he was commanded to make in giving up his own son? That was far more enormous than what Jesus demanded of this rich young ruler. But the outcome of the testing of Abraham was totally different than the outcome of the test of this young man. Hebrews eleven seventeen says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise was offering up his only begotten son. Listen to author Calvin Beisner in his excellent book, and I highly recommend this to everyone. 
It's called prosperity and poverty, the compassionate use of resources in a world of scarcity. He said, a man's willingness to depart with his possessions and give it to the poor at Christ's command is an accurate measurement of his spiritual maturity. The maturity measured in this command may be defined as self-abandonment, trust in God's provision, care for others, and commitment to following Jesus. That's what was asked of this young man. It begins by forsaking the urge to serve self and trusting in God's provision instead. It leads to pouring ourselves out for others, and it culminates in following Jesus as the highest means of our service. Remember when Jesus placed this self-abandonment at the heart of Christian maturity when he said, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So there is the first demand he placed on this young man, self-abandonment. The second demand was serving others. He said, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give them to the poor. Now, beloved, self-denial is not enough for Christians. Self-denial is not the ultimate goal of the Christian life. It is not the means to an end. Self-denial may be the goal of Hinduism and and Buddhism, but Christianity is far, far more than self-denial. We are called to deny ourselves and abandon ourselves, but not to become idle, but to be active, pouring out ourselves and our possessions into the lives of people who are in need. Genuine charity demonstrates the reality of our Christian faith and our walk. Just as faith without works is dead, so love without works is dead. For as the Bible says, For whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? So this command of Jesus to give to the poor is an essential aspect of our coming to Him in faith and self-surrender. Those who truly love Christ, truly love other people. Like Christ, says Paul, they do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind they regard one another as more important than themselves. They do not merely look out for their own self-interest, but also the interest of others. Then thirdly, Jesus talks about eternal values to them. Self-abandonment, serving other people in need, and holding to eternal values. Verse 21, Jesus says, If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven. This is a promise that Jesus always causes to accompany our self-abandonment to him. In calling the rich young ruler to sell his possessions and give them to the poor, Jesus is not calling him to throw everything away, including the hope for the future. He's telling him to cast everything off that stands between him and the greatest hope of all. He is impressing him with the fact that the great danger of material wealth is is that we will trust it instead of God for security in the future. And that when a choice must be made, we will cling to it instead of to God. So then we are 
to abandon material wealth, self-righteousness as the treasures of our hearts, and fix our hope and our whole heart on those treasures that come from heaven, which only God can give, things that enrich life, without which life is empty. From the very moment we tear those idols from our hearts and surrender ourselves to Jesus Christ, all the treasure God can give becomes ours, my friends. As the Apostle Paul wrote, For you know of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Jesus is not saying that if he sells all of his possessions and gives them to the poor, he will earn treasure in heaven as some just wage. The treasure of life and salvation in heaven that God gives are rooted in unmerited and unearned grace. The wage of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. But when a person believes in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, instead of giving that person what he deserves, which is eternal condemnation, God gives him graciously and mercifully what he does not deserve, and that is forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And then he says to this young man in verse 21, You shall have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. Jesus calls us to abandon any claim, any claim on our own lives, to no longer rule our lives in terms of our own will and our own preferences. We are to unconditionally obey him, living and thinking as he commands imaging the care, his character in our own character and lives. In following Christ, we become complete, mature human beings. We become truly human beings. This maturity he talked about is Christ's likeness. Following Jesus means being willing to lay aside everything for him and to be like him, to be close to him, to share in his great redemptive work of restoration. It means trusting God alone for all that we need, pouring out our lives in the service of other people, focusing our lives on eternal issues rather than temporal issues only. It means absolute, total commitment to Christ. And for anyone who longs for eternal life, that is not optional at all, beloved. Now, what was the young man's tragic response? Verse 22. So one of the saddest statements in all of the Bible. When the young man heard Jesus answer, he went away grieved because he was one who was owned by much property. Now, that's not actually what it says. But that's what it means. He was owned by the property that he owned. His tragic decision to turn away from and reject Jesus reveals that he had a greater love for himself and his things than for Jesus' prior claim on his life. And what accounts for this rejection by this ruler? Christ offered to him. He was not willing to deny himself. Beginning with verse 23, Jesus proceeds to apply the story to his disciples. Notice what he says in verses 23 and 24. Truly I say to you, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The real danger 
in confronting people of wealth lies in a false sense of security and power which wealth creates, along with the temptation to trust in material resources and personal power when what Christ demands of us is wholehearted sacrifice unto God. When Jesus said these words, the disciples said, well then, who in the world can be saved? Now, they really understood what Jesus was saying here in verses 23 and 24. And by the way, if you missed the humor here, you've actually watered down the point that's being made. The disciples understood it better than most of us today. He said, truly, I say to you, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, what would it be about that statement for the apostles to respond, well, then who in the world can be saved? If that's true, no one can be saved. So what is Jesus saying? Well, there are some commentators that say there was in the big gates of Jerusalem a little door that you could walk through individually. It wasn't for taking livestock through like camels. It wasn't large enough. Your camel with all your goods and packages just wouldn't fit through. And the commentators say this door is called the eye of the needle. But they say if you get a camel down on his knees and take off all your possessions and he crawls on his belly, he can get through the eye of the needle. Well, if that is what Jesus meant... Why would the apostles respond with, well, then no one can be saved, if that's true? Because if that is what he meant, and camels can get through the eye of a needle, if they humble themselves, get down on their knees and crawl on their bellies and put off all their possessions, then a rich man must be able to get through, right? They could then get through that little door called the eye of the needle. But the apostle said, Lord, then no one can be saved if that's true. Now, I believe what he is saying is exactly what he said, that it is easier for a camel to get through the eye of a sewing needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then the apostles say, good night, Lord. It's impossible for anyone to be saved because camels certainly can't squeeze themselves through the eyes of sewing needles. See the humor of all this? Jesus' answer confirms that he was not simply saying it is sort of hard for rich people to get into heaven, but they cannot do it. This confirms that that is not what he is saying. In verses 25 and 26, in answer to the question, who can be saved, Jesus flat out says, with men, it is impossible. It is impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. It is impossible for rich men whose idol of their hearts is wealth and self-righteousness and trust in their own ability to acquire wealth. It is impossible for that man to be saved. But then he goes on. Disciples are bewildered now, more confused than they were in the first place. Jesus said that this rich person, who was probably blocks away by now or any person, actually, to achieve or earn or buy entrance into the kingdom of God is absolutely impossible. But with God, 
it is possible. God can do what man cannot do. Salvation is completely beloved beyond the sphere of human possibilities. And here we're being told that again. This has been a theme through Luke again and again and again. Every attempt to enter the kingdom of God on the basis of achievement or merit is futile. In fact, the power to affect salvation and to give eternal life resides in God alone. Salvation is always and everywhere, in the strictest sense, impossible with man who is dead in his trespasses and sins. It is a genuine work of God's grace. God saves sinners who cannot save themselves. So in conclusion, let me ask you, where are you in this picture of Jesus and the rich young ruler? What does your heart truly cling to? Do you really possess eternal life? Have you abandoned yourself to follow Jesus? Or is the price too high for you to pay? Consider the cost to yourself if you do not follow him. Consider the price Jesus paid to purchase, purchase eternal life for us. Are you still clinging to old idols, old world views, or old lifestyles? Is the love of your life your things? Could you do without them? The rich young ruler loved his things. He couldn't even imagine living without his things. Is that possibly you? Is the love of your life your things and yourself? Or is there something or someone in your life you love more than life and God himself? Is there something or someone in your life to which you are willing to devote all that you are and all that you have? What is it? Who is it? What is the one thing you lack? that is keeping you from being truly human and from inheriting eternal life. Can you say with the Apostle Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Can you say from your heart with the hymn writer, I would rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I would rather have Jesus than houses or land. I would rather be led by his nail-scarred hands than to be the king of vast domains or to be held in sin's dread sway. I would rather have Jesus than anything, than anything this world affords today. Today and tonight, in the highest and most powerful name there is, I call upon you to repent of your self-love, your self-righteousness, to tear out the idols of your heart and your mind, to abandon all claims on yourself, and to take up your cross and daily follow Jesus. There is nothing else, beloved, worth living for. Let us pray. Our Lord, we do thank you for putting this story in the Bible. 
We thank you for everything we can learn from it about you, about your grace and ourselves. We pray that it convicts us where we need conviction. But we pray above all else, as it is purposed, that it draws us to the Lord Jesus Christ in absolute, total dependence. We pray that the story has driven us out of ourselves to him, and we lay our lives at his blessed feet. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408 866-5607. We thank you for joining us and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. (music) 